Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for pets. With over 1 billion, with a B, in claims paid, Trupanion has you covered. Whether you're a dedicated breeder, a loving owner, or both. Trupanion is also the first pet insurance provider to offer a special breeding rider that you can add to your coverage. That way, you know your dogs are covered from common health concerns associated with breeding and whelping, like emergency C-sections, for example. Learn more about all of the perks that Trupanion offers breeders by following the link on my partner page at puredogtalk.com. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I'm super excited. This is the first part of a two-part episode. Our guest today is another one of my favorites that I've been chasing around begging to come on the podcast, and she finally agreed. So. Lorraine Bisso is an AKC judge. She is an Irish setter breeder, and she brings to us a wealth of history and knowledge, and I am thrilled. So thank you, Lorraine. I'm delighted to be here early on a Friday morning. <laughs> Super early on a Friday morning. You see my coffee cup. Yeah. <laughs> well, I brought a beverage as well. So. There you go. So talk to us, Lorraine. Tell us about Irish setters. You have been in that breed for a very long time. Give us the, as we like to say, the 411. I love Irish setters. What can I say? The standard tells you that it's termed by artists the most beautiful of all dogs. And as I tell people when I do judges' education, when the dog walks in the ring, if your heart doesn't skip a beat by the beautiful color, the symmetry, the silhouette, before you even get to know the dog, then something's missing. And in this beautiful, drop-dead, gorgeous dog, beats a soul not to be matched. He would give his life for you. He also cheats at cards. He's happiest. Our standard uses the word rollicking. I love that. It's one of my favorite words in a standard, rollicking. I think it's perfect. It's unique to the Irish setter. They have a love of life, a zest for living. They want to be with you. They're creative. They're terrific with families. They are smart. That's something that's very misunderstood in this breed. They earned a reputation at one point for not being smart. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Smart is not the first word I would say for an Irish They're very creative. And often the problem is that they are one step ahead of their owners. Irish setters do not like to do things over and over and over again. (laughs) They will go from point A to point B quite willingly several times. Then they will decide to take the scenic route. And when they get to point B, they're really mystified as to why you're upset. They got there. They just took the scenic route. It's a charming part of the breed. I've had them for well over 50 years. My uncle had one, so I guess it goes back even further. My daughter now continues with them. They are just a lovely breed. Beautiful to look at, beautiful to live with in every way, shape, and form. 
over 50 years of being involved in a breed. I think that's so important for people to think about because you've seen such a progression. Yes. You've seen what the breed is, was, and maybe could be. Yes. So talk to us a little bit about, I mean, clearly your family had the breed. I assume that's why you wanted one or what got you started? No, actually not. My family has a long history in purebred dogs dating back to the late 1890s. As far as I can tell, they started to show dogs right after World War I at, believe it or not, Louisiana Kennel Club, which is the AKC member club in the area, to which I now belong, to which I've been president. So it was really quite delightful to find these show records for my family's dogs post-World War I. I mean, we're talking about 1919. Wow. And what breed did your family have at that time? They started in St. Bernard's and transitioned to Boston Terriers. Well, that's that's a scenic route. <laughs> and none of those people are around for me to ask the wise welfares. But fast forward to the 30s when my mother's cousin bred Welsh Terriers and Pointers under the kennel name of Benmar. And the 30s and the 40s, which brings us into the 50s where the first Irish setter appears in my family, another one of my uncles. And my mother, who would tell you that she was a dog lover, not a dog liker, a dog lover, <laughs> took me to a dog show in 1962. Again, it's Louisiana Kennel Club. That's the name that appears in my bio. To see the Collies, because I had been reading the Terhune Collie stories. And off we went to the dog show. And she said, at the moment we walked in the door, she realized it had been a huge mistake. Because my eyes started to glitter, she said, like I had scarlet fever. And I was in the ring not much long after. I mean, within months, showing dogs. And I've never stopped. And shortly thereafter, not quite two years after that, again, my mother and my father had friends that had brought a litter with Ted Eldridge. And the litter was signed by the last of Hollis Wilson's dogs, champion and domains Pat Hand. Now, and we're in 1964. And this couple were growing out puppies, as we all know how that goes. And they had decided, because of a change in their family situation, that they needed to place this nine-month-old setter. And I, of course, had been walking home past their house, hanging on the garden gate, playing with the puppies. And a phone call was made to my parents asking if I would like to have this dog. And of course, he came with the usual promise I had to finish him. They would retain stud rights. My father said I had to pay the entry fees, and that turned out not to really be true. When your allowance is a quarter every week, paying $4 entry fees just wasn't going to happen. I know, $4 entry fees. Now, that's a thing to rethink about. $4 entry fees, yes. So my mother picked me up from school, which was a very unusual occurrence. I was in a carpool, and so the fact that she picked me up at school by myself when we're driving home, and she's telling me about this lovely offer of this our setter, and I was smart enough to say to my mother, well, what do you think? Because, I mean, obviously, I needed her to be on board. I'm one of seven children, if you're going to add an our setter to the mix. Oh. In addition to the dog we already had, right. I obviously needed her okay. And this is where my mother, who continually surprised me throughout her 95-year 
life, said, well, you know, I saw this Sire go best in show at such and such a show. And he really has lovely shoulders and a beautiful way of going. I think this would be a really excellent first dog for you. And I went, whoa, mom, I thought you were the dog, like or not the dog, lover you've now given me. You know, looking back on it, even today, I am stunned that she didn't say, oh, this will be a good experience. You can get a Girl Scout badge. She looked at it from pedigree and performance. And the dog she was talking about was the best in show dog, and domain is Pat Hound, who was started by Conifer's Lance, and so brought me into the Wheatley Rock Aaron family, so to speak, even though I didn't realize mm-hmm. it was happening. Mm-hmm. It also introduced me to Ted Eldridge, who was very kind to write letters back to little 14-year-old girls who wrote asking for advice. I still have Ted's letters. Oh, my gosh. They're worth their weight in gold. Yes. The fact that he would write me back when Maureen Day, who is our archivist, was cataloging the Terrelda files that were left to ISCA. There in his files is a picture of my dog winning the veterans class at some specialty. Oh, my gosh. So that was Sheelan. And there's an annual award offered through ISCA to new exhibitors in his honor because he was my introduction to our setters. And I like to celebrate new people coming into the breed by giving them a chance to win the Civil War. I love that idea. So at the same time, Sheelan arrived three days before Christmas. Not every Christmas puppy is a mistake. Sheelan was great. And he finished easily. And he was my junior showmanship dog. But concurrent with Sheelan, two houses down, Mr. and Mrs. Tui had arrived. They moved to New Orleans for a number of years. This is Philip and Pat Tui, better known from Westchester. Mrs. Tui was very active with the Hamburgs of Solgrave Boxers. And so, again, when I'm 12, I am seeing the Solgrave Boxers right at that cup of when Barrage and Bangaway have had right. such a serious impact on the breed. The first Sawgray boxer I met was Sawgray's radar. And it was when Mrs. Hamelberg had perfected her clip, her ear clip. Remember right. those beautiful tall ears? Right. But have ended in a little ball. And they were designed, of course, to show off the beautiful ears, the long neck, the gorgeous heads. I can still name the six Sawgray F letter, fashion plate and fine high and fanfare. Wow. Oh my gosh. Okay, so along with the Saul Gray connection, I, of course, met Larry Downey, who was Mrs. Chewy's handler. I mean, my first grooming tip. I met Dennis Grievous. Mm-hmm. I met a host of people. Every little 12-year-old. <laughs> it never occurred to me that every 12-year-old didn't have this background of information to ask Mr. Downey, what can I do about this? Jane Kay, mm-hmm. while I was getting a Coke at Again, Louisiana Kennel Club show. I asked her because she was showing that beautiful Laza mm. in the early 60s about growing hair. She told me how to grow hair while I was getting a Coke. And I think I overdid the baby oil. My mother wasn't happy, but <laughs> it did grow hair. You have to tell me Jane Kay's tip for growing hair. I'm sorry. This will be Pure Dog Talk legend right here. <laughs> Jane Kay's tip for growing hair. It started with baby oil. <laughs> And I overdid it, and my mother was not happy because this Irish center, as you grew hair, 
I didn't cut it in the correct proportions, and he would come in looking like an oily test mom. I've gotten better at it since then. Okay, but so that's where Lorraine entered into her family passion for purebred dogs. I was very lucky to early on meet people who shared my passion for purebred dogs and who taught me an anticipation for the next one. Let's see what comes next. Mm-hmm. When a new Solgrave puppy arrived at the Tui house, it was wonderful to see this new baby arrive. And a little sidelight is that the Tui's oldest daughter, Tina, is actively involved in dogs <laughs> with Anne-Marie Kubat as well as her own. Tina and I met again at a dog show after many, 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 many years. That is interesting. I had no idea. Yeah. So I was very lucky. What can I say? Mm -hmm. That chapter of obviously what is my family's very long involvement in dogs. I had an uncle who bred German Shepherds and Chesapeake Bay Retrievers. My daughter, as I said, has a champion hour setter that she's breeding in the fall. And I have a granddaughter now and a grandson. So I fully expect that you all hopefully will see the next generation in the ring again. I love that. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Discover your dog's genetic health. Optimize your breeding decisions and identify your puppy's genetic profiles before they go to their new homes. All of that with Embark for Breeders Dog DNA Kits. As the highest rated dog DNA kit on the market, Embark has you covered with exclusive breeder tools. Embark offers the only genetic coefficient of inbreeding tests available, as well as OFA submission reports. Find out why thousands of breeders have trusted Embark to enhance their breeding program through screening for breed-specific genetic conditions, understanding traits, and identifying genetic diversity. To save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit, visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code PUREDOGTALK to enjoy $20 off each kit in your order. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders, code PUREDOGTALK. They're world-class scientists and veterinary geneticists are standing by. Here's my curiosity question, and I ask this to anybody that comes from sporting dogs because it entertains me. How or have you had any involvement with your dogs out in the field? Absolutely. Do your dogs go hunting? Well, setters are not really Louisiana bird dogs. We're more (laughs) retrieval-oriented. But my introduction to the field came when I read a letter in 1984, and I published a notice in the Our Center newsletter, like we all did back then. And I got a call from Emily Schweitzer in Chicago. And Emily Schweitzer is, was for few Our Setters and was very instrumental in bringing the dog back to the field. Mm-hmm. And she called and she was interested in seeing the puppies. And I was newly married at the time. And my husband said, I don't understand what's so big, what's so special. And I said, well, this is like some law student getting a call from the Supreme Court saying the chief justice is going to come read your brief. You know, this is a big deal. So Emily came down, took the train, spent the afternoon with us. Oh, before she came, she said, do you hunt with your dogs? And I said, no, ma'am, I can't say that I do. 
And she says, well, do you ever take them out running? And I said, well, obviously, yes. We live near Audubon Park at that point. And I said, yes, the dogs go. And she says, okay, tell me what happens when you let this bitch off lead. And I said, well, I can tell you, she runs all the way to the end of the meadow. She looks at you and then she swings around and she comes about halfway in and she goes across the meadow the other way. And then she looks at you and she swings back in and she says, Lorraine, your dog is quartering her field. I'll be on the train. I'm coming. So she came down, spent a lovely afternoon with us, looked at the puppies, selected a bitch. And, you know, I'm totally naive at field things at this point. And I said, aren't we going to do like the feather on the fishing pole thing or whatnot? She said, no. She says, you select a field dog based on confirmation and instinct. She says, your bitch obviously knows how to quarter her field. And this is before I knew that the rock errands and the end domains, if you went back far enough, and that's something we'll talk about in a minute, did very well in the field. It turned out that my bitch, who was the daughter of Rock Aaron, Rebecca, Rebecca had been sent down to the farm to grow up. And while she was at the farm that was owned by the Brubakers, Mr. Brubaker's brother, she was field trained. She was a working gun dog. And after her extraordinary show career, which included a win at combined setters, whatnot, she was hunted over until she was 12 and a half. Oh, wow. So... Didn't know that at the time, okay? So the fact that Locke can do all of this is amazing. And Locke will go on to be ISCA's field matron of the year in 1986. But again, that was all in the future. So she selected a puppy, and we made arrangements to ship her because she wasn't taking her back with it then. And she was sent off to be field trained, and she became a field champion, not an amateur field champion, but a field champion won her class at the National Field Trial class. And that was my introduction to Irish setters. The standard describes a hunting dog, right? And when you judge them, you should keep in mind that that singular point. They are the most beautiful of all dogs, and they are bred to hunt. And everything in the standard relates to those twin elements of type, shall we say. They have to be beautiful. But they also must be the active gun dog to stand for talking. That's the reason for the feet, the tail set, the proportions, the bite, the head, the eyes. Everything in that standard is about a working gun dog. And as you judge the breed, you should keep that in mind. I tell people all the time that basically most breed standards, particularly in sporting dogs, were written by a couple guys that had just come in from a hunting competition and were having an argument at the bar about which one of their dogs was prettier. And so they got Fred from down the bar to make a decision. <laughs> to make the list, right. Yeah. It also carries over to, we go to look at this litter of puppies and which puppy will be able to do the job that I wanted to do. And I'm on an Irish setter, you know, back when dog shows started in England. Red and whites were as numerous, probably outpopulated the reds. Yeah. And then we come to a signature keystone sires, as I call them. And the public falls in love with the solid red dogs, mm -hmm. just falls in love with them. 
And at the key tires, we have Bob, but we also have Palmerston, who when you look at pictures of Palmerston, is sleeker and more of the traditional Irish setter lines that we think of today. And so the red and whites fade from the scene, not to be discovered again for another 75 years. And the reds become it. So when these people, Fred and Harry from the bar, go to look at Fred's new litter, and I want a solid red dog, the first puppy I'm going to pick up is the red one. You know, not the red and white one. I want a red one. My wife wants a red one. And then we're going to put him up on the table and we're going to look at his feet and his bite and are his eyes properly shaped because we love the soft expression, but it's also to keep stickers out. Grass seeds, yep. Does he have good hair? Our setters are a single coated breed. Their coat is designed to have things come out if you brush them. Again, our standard calls for a pleasing fringe of hair. It does not call for a foot of hair. It calls for a pleasing fringe. And while we all love the beautiful show coats, don't get me wrong, I'm a sucker for the full-on press. It's not what the standard, all you really need is the pleasing fringe. So again, I tell judges, do not walk past the dog because you don't think he has, quote, enough hair. If it's good hair, and it's the right quality, and it's the right color, then you're good to go. Anyway, I showed and bred and eventually was elected to the board of ISCA in 1990. And as my first board assignments were to chair the versatility program, we have a very active one, and I became the field child consent secretary. I love that. Yes, right. So off I go to Boonville, which is where our national field trial is held every year. Boonville, Arkansas. It's a great place. You got to go at least once in your life. Right. So off I go to Boonville and the field people are as dedicated to their side of the sport as confirmation people are to the show ring. Yep. And so I decided to learn how to ride a horse so that I could go out. I did not want to ride on the dog wagon. I mean, I have ridden the dog wagon, but I thought as their field trial secretary, I was going to be out there. So I learned to ride a horse. It is the best thing ever. You know, I spent a lot of time on the back of a horse watching dogs run at field trials, and it is the best thing ever. It is amazing. Again, Irish setters are beautiful. We show them because we enjoy the competition. And I think obedience is a must for any dog if you want it to be a good family pet and stay put. But you want to see a happy arm setter, a field. That is what he is bred to do. It will come back to him quickly. Just like in the show ring, there are some that are better at it than others. But our setters, that's a misnomer that they won't hunt. They hunt very well. Now, they are bred to be an on-foot dog. They do not have the range of, say, a Brittany. You're meant to follow them on foot. And, of course, a lot of our field trials are done on horseback now. But anyway, that's how I began my board. <laughs> I love that. And over the years, along with becoming a judge, I did eventually chair the national specialty, which is an amazing experience. A big undertaking. <laughs> big undertaking, but definitely worthwhile. And then I became president of ISCA. And it was a three-year term that I 
thoroughly enjoy. I mean, it took me from one end of the country to the other and into many different venues. Just amazing. So all of this goes back to someone when I was very young, many people, Larry Downey, Pat Tui, Dennis Grievous, my mother, sharing their passion for purebred dogs with me. I cannot underestimate how important that was to me becoming who I am today. That, of course, I was a junior. My daughter was a junior. Proud to say she was a five-time qualifier at the Garden. Nice. Made the finals. Met some extraordinary people on her own. But it's so important to share that love of the purebred dog with people. And admittedly, I met a lot of the right people right off the bat. The owners of Sheila and Sire, Pat and Betty April, Betty was a master groomer and taught me how to groom. And she would do Sheila's show side because we need to make sure it looked right. And then I would get sent home to duplicate the effort on the off farm. Make it match. Yep. But I think, Lorraine, one of the things that comes to me that I think we miss sometimes in today's sport, to be honest with you, is you met amazing people, important people, high-level people, and they were willing to spend the time with a 12, 14-year-old girl. Absolutely. And there's a lot of people in our sport today that find that to be more than they're willing to do, and I think that that is unfortunate. It is. Mrs. Tui would give me her gazettes and her popular docs, many of which I still have in my library because the pictures and the, me, this information. Ted Eldridge is answering my letters, which he didn't have to do, because at that point he hadn't met. Dennis Grievous from Wales, who ended up being an all-rounder, mm-hmm. stopped to talk to me. Jane Kay right. tells me how to grow hair in 10 words or less. Right. Amazing. Dot Gert of Gert's Son Collies, Charlene Defee, Corky Goucher with the Shelton Sheep Dogs. All took time from very busy days. Not only that, when I was in juniors, they didn't pick the junior judge until the day of the show. Right. And you signed up at the show. Yep. And juniors, a lot of times, were at four o'clock in the afternoon. So it was at the end of the <laughs> end of the show day. You really had to be persistent to still be there. Right. So I got to show to some amazing handlers, mm-hmm. among which was Frank Savella. I don't know if you remember the black miniature poodle that he had imported from England, Frederick of Rencroft. He finished the dog with three dozen shows. Wow. The only hiccup was when he lost the Friday at the garden. He was, no. So he's at LKC, and he must not have won the non-supporting group because all of a sudden he's going to judge junior showmanship. Mm. So here is Frank Sabella judging juniors at the top of his career when he certainly didn't have to do it. And it's many years later when I actually got to know him better. But I mean, the fact that I can still remember being in the ring with this legend is, again, amazing. Mm -hmm. None of this is outside of our reach today, Laura. None of it is. Yes, I agree. I agree. I love the history of our sport and I love anything that we do that enables us to bring some of that sense of community that sometimes I think is, I mean, I talk about our tribe, it's there, but I think sometimes we forget that we all started as that 12-year-old kid that 
nobody knew and didn't have any special fancy connections or anything else. So right. I think that's important for us to all keep in our minds. All right, crew, thank you all for joining us. This has been part one of our episode. Watch this space. Part two will be coming up soon. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you. To make sense out of everyday things. To add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box. To bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. One of my favorite events over the last year or so has been the virtual After Dark for patrons of the podcast. Anybody can join this amazing community of dog enthusiasts by visiting the website and clicking the Become a Patron link on the homepage. While you're there zooming around on the site, you can check out our shopping tab too. There's even a Pure Dog Talk swag link. Who knew? Share the love with all our cool gear. Check it all out at www.puredogtalk.com. Your support adds up to a huge voice for purebred dogs. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk. 